Mark from Ujikaji. Welcome to a special edition of Black Kaji Radio, produced in conjunction with the observatory's exhibition, Refuse, happening now at the Singapore Art Museum until 17 April 2022. Refuse is an intermedia exhibition about music, mushrooms, and decomposition. It combines mycology design by Bewilder, scenography installation by Sai, archive arrangement by Ujikaji, Moving Image by Yeo Siu Hua, and Guest Curation by Tang Fu Quen. The music you heard at the start of the show was an excerpt of the song Killing Time from the Observatory's 2003 demo album. In preparation for the Observatory's exhibition, I'd gone through my personal collection of the band's music and found that my CDR of the band had undergone CD rot, resulting in the unique glitches you just heard. This was befitting of a show that looked into the processes of decay and decomposition. This special episode of Blood Country Radio hopes to extend the conversations introduced by the presentation of the Observatory's archives at Refuse to discuss the band's two-decade history, from their family tree of band members to their ever-evolving sound, from the stories of their numerous tours to their role as event organizers. So at this point, I'd like to introduce the other people here with me today. Hello, Dharma here. Hello, Cheryl here. And this Chiwai, hello. Uh, we also have a special guest um, today, um, and she's an assistant curator at the Singapore Museum. Hi, everyone. My name is Joella. Excited to be here. Um, we have another another guest. Um, she, she's not here with us in person, but we'll be recording her subsequently, and we'll be splicing her um, into the conversation. Uh, her name is Teng Yan Hui, who's also... An assistant curator at Singapore Art Museum. So I wanted to just start really to talk about um, to to give you the lay of the land, and um, for for you know when we delve into the observatory's past, we started to conceptualize the history in, in four ways, and these four ways are presented in the exhibition um, as micro microbiome, uh, in which we looked into the bands. History, the, the history of band members, uh, the composition of the band and how that has changed over the years. We looked also at, uh, um, at the, the albums and the development of their sound, and we call this Fruiting Bodies. We also looked at the tours that they've uh, embarked on, we call this Sporulation, and we looked at the events that the band has organized, and we call this Mycorrhiza. So um, I think to start off, you know, we we in the first section, uh, looking at the band history, I think the the part of the this project really started out when um, the band was approaching its twentieth anniversary, and uh, it was a time in a way to take stock. And um, I wanted to ask for each of the band members, could you maybe just give a brief intro about what you were doing um, before you joined the the band? Maybe let's start with Dharma in chronological order. We're looking at 2001, is it? Or 2002? Yeah, 2001. I joined in 2002. Yeah, so at that time, before 2002, I was with my, my band, Trop. And uh, we had just finished recording our album. And we, I, I remember in uh, sometime late 2002, we did the album launch, and uh, during the, the the whole period from the album uh, release right up to the album launch, Leslie and Vivian were were helping us out. So uh, there was already a ongoing uh, collaboration in that sense, and so a lot of sharing of music as well. And uh, come late two thousand and two, uh, they got they had an offer to play at Bay Beats the very first Bay Beats. So they, they needed an additional musician and asked me if I wanted to join and that's when I, I started with the observatory. So yeah, but going back to your question, I was with Trop and uh, that, was, that, that was my main musical project at that time, just before observatory. 
So what was the sound of the observatory when you joined? Based on what we were in touch with at that time, it was a sound uh, very related to the mood, the mood at that time. It was very, very much chill-out music, you know. Uh, that was one of the influence. Of course, we, we all had our other influences as well, individual uh, influences. Besides chill-out music, it was also very much based on electronic music with beats. So there was also elements of uh, trip-hop and, and other ways of expressing uh, different, different kinds of beats using electronic programming. So that was a major starting point, a major influence for us at that time. Um, maybe we can move on. Um, Cheryl, Cheryl, you joined in 2014. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you want to tell us a bit about what you were doing musically before you joined? Well, I think before Observatory, I was on a very different path. Um, so before that, I was mainly playing, uh, of course, classical, traditional music and started to venture into more improvisational type of material. Um, I was also playing with Sa at that point of time. So it was quite a big jump for me because I think prior to that, I was mainly on percussions. Um, and then with the observatory, had to go uh, onto the drum kit and kind of explore it in a different way. Yeah, I was also playing with uh, different percussion ensembles at that time. Yeah. How did joining the Ops impact you in terms of your own musical development? Uh, I think it challenged me a lot. Like, basically just having to adapt to playing with a band. Like, prior to this, I, I've not played with, um, let's say, synths or electric guitars. Not so much, lah. Maybe just in a couple of settings. Uh, so it really opened up the different... I would say uh, capability. I had, I kind of had to practice a lot and try and catch up and fit into what was needed. Yeah, I think because Chiu and I, when we joined the band, it was quite like pressing in terms of time. Like we, our first project was basically the recording of Fossila. Yeah, so we were kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool. And for myself, I I thought that was really challenging but also very exciting and you know, I've stayed on ever since so yeah Should I you want to chime in? Or Dharma? Yes so sorry just now when, I'm, uh, when you asked me about the, the, the starting influence right I mentioned in terms of uh, down tempo chill out but that's more in terms of instrumentation but uh, in terms of the, 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 the songs and stuff it, it did come uh, from a, a with a very strong folk influence because that's where Leslie comes from so I just wanted to add that. So it was uh, melding folk with electronic beats and stuff. Yeah. Okay. We move, uh, shall we move on to, to Chiwai? Chiwai, you joined in uh, at about the same time as Cheryl. Yeah, I was roped in about the same time as Cheryl in 2014. Um, before that, I was in a quartet called FEN. And I'm still in that same quartet uh, with Otomo, Yanjin and Han Kyo. Um, it was also about that same time that I was already starting to plan for the Asian Meeting Festival, uh, 2013-2014, um, in Japan with Otomo and uh, Taku DJ Sniff. So, and the, the music that I was playing back then was a lot more uh, free improv and improv. Um, and then, of course, yeah, like what Cheryl said, when we were pulled in, we had very little time to really switch gears and and record uh, a set of songs for Ozilla. So, yeah, it was it was a rather steep learning curve, lah. Back in twenty fourteen, it helped that they, because the songs were all generally already written. Yeah, the songs, uh, I, the four songs were kind of already set. Um, so we were we had to interpret, we had to learn certain things and then add certain things in in uh, already composed structure. Yeah, I remember uh when trying out for the ops. So so they had a session where they are like, hey, just come and try out lah, you know. So I was like, okay. And then 
they sent me the demos of the songs and I was like, okay, great. So I kind of scored everything down. But that was also difficult because of the time signatures and everything. And they were like, please do not look at the score. And I was lost. I was like, oh my God, please. I've never played without a score before. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of quite a freak out moment for myself. Yeah. Yeah, Cheryl, do you still use the score? No, not anymore. <laughs> so that's one impact on your on your musical <laughs> career. Yeah, I was thinking also. I mean, you know, when we did when we looked through and we created that mind map with all the you know what we call the family tree of members as well. Just wanted whether any of you could also share some uh, thoughts on uh, the how you kind of cope as a band in terms of kind of dealing with all these changes in the lineup over time. It's it's always difficult when you have to change members, you know. It's uh, it, it feels like starting all over again because you have to, for that new person that comes in, you have to learn those songs. So in the early days, when uh, when uh, I think our first drummer was Adam Shah, he he came in during Blank Walls. Then after Blank Walls, he was already uh, we were writing stuff together, which we eventually become Far Cry, and then he left while. While halfway while working on Far Cry, then then we had to start all over again because we had to get a new drummer and have to, which was Ray Aziz eventually, and we had to go through the, the whole repertoire with with, with Ray. So it, it's very to answer your question it was it's always very frustrating when you have to change members, but sometimes it's it's just how it is and it's just necessary. Yeah. You can watch the Ops docu. <laughs> it's all there. That covers the the earlier part of your band history. Uh, the other thing also, I think also when going through the um, when creating that mind map, right? We also realized that what makes up the observatory really is all this huge, uh, huge background. Every 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 member brings in their own kind of musicality, their own listening, their own preferences, their own kind of um, the, the the bands that they played they played with before, and they bring it all into the band. So I just wondering um how how in terms of um uh how you think that the 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 impact of the different members has been to the sound of the observatory yeah like you said you know everybody brings in their their own style of playing and that that will that further uh evolves the sound the 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 sound that we are working on yeah like for example i i remember when Cheryl came and started taking on the drum the 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 role behind the drums not the drum role but yeah her Cheryl's t- timing is is very on very on so it's almost like pushing the meter you know so that that felt a different uh, uh, that was a, it was a different approach from what uh that prior to her was Bunny Hacker Bunny Hacker had a bit more of a swing kind of vibe and i I'm, I'm not saying both are great, definitely, but it changes when 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 this, when when that that approach a, a different approach comes about. So it 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 pushes the song in uh, the music in a different direction, a bit more urgent, which uh, I thought it worked well for Osila. Yeah, I mean for me, it's actually Osila was really fascinating because the band started out, um, of course, creating it with Barney on board, and you all played a tour, I think, in around Asia, right? And a lot of the material was developed that way. And then when the recording came in, of course, Cheryl came in, Shirai came in. And so the final recording actually is quite different from what you had on the earlier tours, right? I mean, you can hear that on the on the laneway recording. Yes, correct, yeah. Which is... Yeah. which is um, That was on, the last gig with Bunny Hiker, actually. Yeah, yeah which, which appears in the Ops documentary. Yeah, so, um, I mean, at least for a close watcher, uh, witnessing that... that, that the the evolution was very fascinating, uh, and exactly what you said about the different drummers and just the different members adding in their own thing to the sound. Um, I was wondering whether Joella wanted to chime in now. I, we you know we were also really curious just about what might have been your first encounter with the observatory or their music. It's interesting because I don't think I would normally consider myself a music person. In the sort of things that I listen to is also not something that often I think too much about. But the first time that I think I heard perhaps 
um, I heard the music from the observatory was really um, with Continuum, actually, so the 2015. At that point in time, um, I was thinking through a couple of stuff, like personally, with my own research, with my own work, about what it would mean, I think, also. And this was conversation that was happening, you know, the undercurrent, I guess, culturally as well. What it would mean, I suppose, to respond to um, history, to tradition, in a way that wasn't appropriative, but in a way that was still respectful, but also very much contemporary. It felt, you know, true to where we were as a society, as a people. And I think that's when I think some one of my friends actually turned me on to Continuum. Not so much as an answer to the question, but as a possibility to what that could look like, what an iteration of that could mean. And I think that was when perhaps the first kind of, that was my first introduction to the band at large, the members, what the work they were doing. But also I think it was a very new perspective to um, something that I've been wondering. And I think that was perhaps also on the minds of, you know, the various band members and perhaps other practitioners who were thinking and working at the time. Yeah. Great. Okay. And maybe we can hear from Yen Hui as well here. My first encounters with the observatory were actually a bit more personal. Um, I've always loved music and I remember being introduced to local music for the first time around the mid-2000s by way of bands such as uh, Electrico, um, Ronin, The Great Spy Experiment and of course the observatory. And this awareness of what was happening musically on our shores really opened up a whole new world for me um, as a youth at the time, feeling some type of way about life, about Singapore, that I just wasn't able to articulate or express on my own terms, except through listening to music that were written by people from a similar environment and culture. Um, and then some years later, I would become involved with uh, music myself for a while as part of the band Ellipsis. And my bandmates and I would attend gigs together and we'd see the observatory or musicians of the observatory play at some of these shows. And it was just really exciting and inspirational to see what they were up to, whether it was as a unit, um, as individuals or as an extended network. So Mark and Joella have both named an album that has stayed with them. And I think for me, that would be August is the Cruelest uh, that I find myself returning to time and again. So this might sound kind of cheesy, but I've always been in awe of music's ability to, I suppose, bypass the intellect and get you right in the heart. And that's something that that album has done for me um, on top of what it stands for. So yeah, in a very roundabout way, that remains one of the most lasting impressions of the band that I've had. Yep, okay. At this point, maybe we can, we're going to hear some excerpts from some of your past music. We'll hear the Time of Rebirth, um, the demo version, um, and then we'll listen to some of your newer work, track called Imprisoned Mind, and it's coming from your forthcoming album in collaboration with Koichi Shimizu. Mistakes, the chances we take and put them all in a basket. Don't be afraid to count all your eggs, to sell them all in the marketplace. Learn we will learn to
For the exhibition, we actually created a second mind map, and we called that "Fruiting Bodies." And it really explored all the different albums that the observatory has has created, and the changing sound of the of the band over time. Um, now, for the three of you, um, you've actually all worked together on the following albums or the following pieces of work, right? So there was Oscilla, there was Shadows. There was vibrational, which was a track in a, on a split um, 12 inch with SMR's tempo. There was authority is alive, and then of course there's the forthcoming demon state. Now many of these actually involve collaborators, and these include people like uh, bands like Mo, people like uh, Keiji Haino, um, and people like Koichi Shimizu. Um, you know, I really wanted to know what really led the ops to start working with all these different collaborators. Yeah, actually, even for the exhibition, we we have uh, countless collaborators, with mushrooms included. No, I mean, um, what led Ob- Observatory to start involving external parties, outsiders, collaborators into you know your your scheme of work? I think, I mean, these collaborators or of. Like, for example, Mo, uh, Keisha Haino, Koichi. Well, especially Koichi and Mo. Um, they have been collaborators with us for a long time. Um, or we have worked together, or like even with Mo, we have toured together on many different occasions and we have talked about doing something together uh, for quite a while. I think, I can't remember which year it was, but Ops also had the split with Mo. That was the first tour, no, second tour with Mo. It was twenty thirteen, uh, and and in in conjunction of with uh, uh, in conjunction with the tour, we decided to release the split. So uh, on the ops track was mankind, and and uh, most track was I I I. Yeah, and and the thing is, at that time when we rec- uh, recorded shadows, Mo was also on tour. They they came they came through Singapore, and in fact, they always uh, like to come to Singapore, and use this as a as a travelling base outwards. So we thought that since they were stopping by here and we had time available that we would do something together. Hence, we we just got together and and recorded Shadows in in this very studio. Um, For KG Haino, it was because we organised Play Freely in 2019. We had him uh, as part of the ensemble for Play Freely and we recorded the live performance with him um, when we played together with him and it turned out to be quite quite a nice recording uh, we talked about it and, and we was actually very happy to release it so that was a release of a live recording um, that we did and for Koichi it's uh, it just happened out of out of uh, serendipity because we were we were supposed to record uh, an album together as in the three of us uh, an ops album which we had written and played a few times um, I think in Wasak in Manila in Nusa Sonic uh, in Singapore and we flew Koichi in in hope that he'll work with us and record this this work for us so he spent some time here in this studio as well um, working with Cheryl, working with Dharma and, and myself to how to 
record this work efficiently and, and, and beef up the sound much more because it was also the, our first time getting into a studio and recording this material. And I think we, we were lacking some, some frequencies and he was trying to help us beef them up. And in that process, we recorded here with him an improv set um, what, on the last day before he left. And then COVID hit and we couldn't record the album that we were supposed to initially record. And hence, then he went back to Japan, he worked on that improv recording and, and cut up some of the pieces and, and suggested, hey, why don't we, we work on this? So I think the, the so-called coll collaboration is not something that, that we really, really seeked it out to be, but it was just something that grew out, of, uh, grew out organically and it, it seemed to work. It's, it's interesting because, you know, um, when we, again, when we were conceptualizing the, the, the mind maps and all that, and, um, and, and kind of like also questioning what is the observatory. And, um, you know, what we found really is that the observatory is, is, always, so, um, is always so permeable, <laughs> and in a way, to external influencers, to collaborators, and, and how other people from outside also influence um, your sound and how you've developed over time. Um, I, I also was wondering whether um, each of you could also talk a bit about, you know, in terms of the all the different kinds of music that you've made with the Observatory so far, is there anything that is has particularly challenged you in any way or that you find, you know, something memorable uh, in that process of making it? Uh, yeah, of course. So, uh, Oscilla is definitely, uh, as mentioned just now, you know, was quite challenging because we were just thrown in the deep end and then started recording and then also did a tour right after that. And the tour continued and the songs continued to develop throughout the tour. And when we went into doing August, it was almost like we were writing some things already uh, or thinking of some of the ideas on tour and then after that going straight into the studio and just jamming things out and taking the stuff that we like. So I think in terms of the process, that was pretty interesting uh. um, and then of course for Demon State uh, we kind of developed a lot of the material at home because we couldn't come into the studio at that point of time so it was quite a different work process for us yeah, or at least myself because I couldn't play drums at home so a lot of things were done uh, through the laptop through a software yeah, I, th I think process-wise is, is always the challenge and the excitement of it. I, th I mean, when, when I first joined and we, when we were working on this Oscilla, I was playing more noisy synth like uh, instruments. And then after that, when we were writing uh, August is the Cruelest when we were in Bergen, that was when I felt that oh, maybe this, this is not expressing what I needed to express in, in the composition phase. So that was when, yeah, I took up the guitar, which I have not played for many, many years uh, before that. So I think every, every iteration and every album uh, recording process or writing process, I'm, I'm also constantly trying to challenge myself and, and look at new, uh, new ways of expression. Um, similarly, even for... For Demon State, we're going into a different terrain. I, I started to use my voice as well, starting, starting to write uh, stuff. So each face has a different uh, articulation for me. So that that is not how each one is more difficult than the other, but it is a certain sense of navigation, I think, for me. Yeah, but I think the challenge is also good because it pushes us. Sometimes... Is, is just born out of necessity. Like, okay, because we're lacking certain frequencies or because the piece needs this particular sound that we have had to take up different roles. For example, learning new things, which for myself is like, you're like constantly improving on what you know and finding out new sounds. It's great. La. So similarly, actually, even for Refuse, it's, it's something that, that we're learning something new as well. Um, a new form of expression, a new way of 
of articulating a particular idea or a particular concept or sound that, that we are imagining and how to how to bring it out uh, in a physical environment and physical space. Uh, like Chiwai mentioned just now, we are, we are con- uh, constantly pushing ourselves to, to, to try out new things, to experiment and, and find, find new sounds. To a certain extent, that's pretty much also why uh, every observatory album is not the same. And, and it, it's, these, these two things always tie, tie together. It's us pushing ourselves in, dif- in, in, in finding new directions, new sounds. At the same time, us not wanting to do what we've already done and relying on the a same old formula or something like that. So that's, that's always the, the pleasant experience that I, I, I feel in, uh, with, with this band, uh, that trying to do something that's, that's pushing ourselves and, 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 and no two albums actually sound the same. Yeah, which is, which is great, I think. Yeah. Arguable, right? <laughs> I always thought Oscillar and uh, August were kind of companion albums. Well, I wasn't in August, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can move on to um, the, third, the third theme that we had, actually, which was about Turing. Um, in, the, in the mind map, you know, that we called Sporulation. Um, and um, how does Turing fit into, actually, what you guys do as a band? How, you know, why, why, do, you, why do you tour? What, what's, what is the point of touring? It's always... Uh, it, it always feels great to bring your music to new places, to new to new faces, to new places, and 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 to different different communities, different groups of people. So touring enables this, I feel, and it also enables us to um, uh, hook up with people, uh, like-minded people in 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 this in this uh, in this kind doing like this kind of music, you know. Uh, adventurous music, uh, hooking up with them and getting inspired by them, and uh, the, and to me the, the the next the most important ex- aspect about touring that I feel very strongly about is it really makes us push ourselves, get our act together, no matter what. Whether you're sick, you're hungry, you're tired, you're missing whoever, wherever, you have to get up there and do it. And 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 after some time, you just get into this mode and. I felt over the over the years the touring has really helped me become a better musician. Something that's very very precious to me. Yeah. How do you actually start to make inroads into a new place, a new city or country? The thing, yeah, for touring, touring definitely um, forms that 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 network, and, and that touring opens up new connections to to new people. And I think. Getting into these new communities, or, or how do we plan for it? I think first you need some contact point, of course. And like for example, I was doing kind of quite a lot of work in Japan for Asian Meeting Festival and FEN and all that stuff. So I had some contacts into into the organizers or into people who would who would help in in putting up shows. So in that we could tap onto that network and and link up tours in that way. Um, I had the manager for Asian Meeting Festival become the tour manager for Observatory when we were on tour in, in Japan a few times, actually. Um, and of course, I mean, through the years, Ops had been working a lot with uh, the Norwegian musicians, Norwegian scene. So naturally, there was a there was a kind of like a base or home base in in Norway and and hence Mo when we were talking about earlier would also help us organize tours within uh, Norway. So it's all these networks and all these inroads that we find with friends and through recommendations that we can then chart the tour more efficiently. Yeah, I think it's a lot more tedious planning than it sounds because Ops has always done it more of the DIY way. And we also play in independent venues. and So it's not oh, like big fest- festivals and we don't have an agent to help us plan all these things. So it's really done internally. So apart from practicing and practicing uh, and preparing for the tour musically, we also had to, you know, do a lot of the logistics like contact venues, 
gig organizers and then plane tickets, hotels, or staying at people's houses because we didn't have much at that time. Yeah, so it's not as easy as it sounds, lah. But it's it's very exciting. It really tests. It puts the the band into like root practice. Yeah, things that you cannot achieve in a studio. You can practice every day, but it's very different from going on the road and playing every single night at a different venue. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. talk about a lot about the logistics and all that. And uh, yeah, some of them you do DIY. Some of them you do, you also work with people like brokers, right? In each country, um, you want to talk about you know some of the important people you've met while on the road, who've helped you along the way. I mean, it was was it in Cologne uh, that you lost your wallet? No, I think that was Hamburg. Was but the worst was in Paris because I I was so sick. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened? I think I got food poisoning or something, but I had a really high fever and they were like, oh, should we cancel the show? But it was a really great venue and <laughs> it was packed, Gator Lyric. Yeah, it was Gator Lyric. And, <laughs> and she had to play two shows. She had to play Sa first and then... And I was like, no, no, let's do it. So I was just like taking Panadol and zoning out <laughs> waiting room. Actually, I didn't know what happened the whole gig. It's like, guys, just... And they were like, okay, don't worry, we'll just follow you, you just play. Yeah. So I had no impression of that show until uh, later when watching the documentation. I didn't know how crowded it was. I didn't know what we did. Yeah. This is Gator Lyric Paris. Yes, that's I was right. there with you guys. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You, were, yeah. you didn't seem very sick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was out of it. Just wondering also, you know, you're talking about all these planning and logistics. How does that take, I mean, how does that um, uh, affect your, you know, what you guys do creatively? How do you, how do you balance that, th- those two sides of, of, of things? Well, it's tough, man. I mean, the, the kind of mental, uh, it tests the mental to the maximum. Though. I think, I think I, if you put it to, an analogy of running a marathon, right? I think after a particular point, right, everything is not about the physical fatigue anymore. It's all the mental, mental of, of all of all sorts. I mean, we spend all the time here rehearsing, and then after that, going next door, and then we have to plan the tour itinerary, contact all these people, and make sure we have enough merch to to bring on onto the road. And there's so much to do just to plan for a tour. And then at the back of my mind, back of everybody's mind, we have to worry about, you know, not losing so much money uh, for the tour because touring definitely is a strain on on the the band's finances, and most of the time we end up barely even breaking even. We'll we'll end up losing money la, when we come back. But it's the it's this whole process of of testing where we can go mentally and of course like what Dharma said you know you you come back as as a better musician because you've been on the road you road tested the songs and you come back a little bit more seasoned touring definitely helped me get over nerves every time before playing I remember the first intense tour we started was in 2012 in Norway so the first before the first show I was like oh it was the show in Christian San and uh, I was wow, a bit nervous. I to drink a bit of beer and and you know, calm those nerves down. But next day there was another show, and then I realized, oh, it's just this. We have to do this again. And then the following day, and then suddenly there's, oh, I forgot about nerves. You know, and it's, it's 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 a great way. And this confidence that comes about that you know I have to do this, and we're gonna do this together. That's a really interesting point. I guess in Singapore you can't play multiple shows over. You can't play daily. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, and it, if you do also, you know, maybe most of most two days or three days in a row, by the time, if you're going to do the fourth or fifth day in a row in Singapore, it's the same old faces, you feel very, it's a bit strange doing this, you know, to the same people. Yeah, yeah. I think for the, for the, for the exhibition, we showcased some of the tours, and I mean, you've covered Europe, um, much of Asia. Um, have, you, have you guys broken through to places like the States or other, other parts of the world? And what, what do you think is the reason why, you know, you can, you've been able to play in some parts of the world and, and, and less so others? We've not, not played in, in America, North and South, North or South. We've not played in Africa. 
that I know we've not played. Have you have you all played in Australia? No, right? No, not Australia. No, either. Uh, mainly it's been Europe and 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 the Asian region. I think that's why we wanted to also highlight like the networks um, in the exhibition using the mind map because without all these connections and or forming a network, we wouldn't have been able to tour as well. Um, and also having them come here and then playing in our events as well as uh, interfacing with musicians from Singapore. So I think the whole network thing has been a very important part of the observatory. Yeah, I think the... I mean, recently I was, I've been listening to uh, Leslie's album uh, and there's this song Travelling Blues. Every time I listen to it, listen to the lyrics, I get like, wow, jolted back into the, the tour situation, playing a show where, yeah, you know, some... Some people are just there who are not really interested in in what you're you're playing or what what you're what you're selling, but they're just there to support other brands, support other friends. But this is the kind of this is the kind of situation that that we had to uh, put up with. Um, it really then makes you think about your own music. It makes you really really feel that yeah yeah I don't think you're the best in the world. Uh. Okay, we're going to play um, some excerpts from Oscilla, the song that you guys play in Paris. And then we'll come back and talk a bit about um, the fourth theme of the exhibition, of the archive exhibition. was playing I think some of the band members had some memories of um, th- that particular tour any of you wants to talk about it this one in, in uh, which you just heard uh, the version we played in Paris rather of Sula uh, it was it, 
if, if you listen to the track, you can tell that it's not the normal way how we approach the song. It's not so heavy and loud. So there was a reason behind this because uh, the, the venue was uh, in, in a residential area and, and the room we were playing was just beside a courtyard uh, of apartments. And uh, so at, at the time that we hit the stage, I think it was nearly nine o'clock or something like that. So they said, we can't play so loud. So we had to play this uh, rather uh, subdued version, a bit more uh, relaxed, and it, 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 did, it did feel, I, I was quite, I quite liked it actually, and I'm listening to it again. Yeah, so that, that, that was this, that story in Paris, but I think you guys got the story from Berlin. Yeah, there are all these different places that we toured to, each, each will have its own story, and, and there was one, one time where we played uh, in Berlin, in a, in a show organised by a friend of ours, uh, Utku. It was a space that he was co-sharing with, with someone else, but he presents uh, some other kinds of music there, like uh, sometimes you'll have drones, or sometimes it's like experimental music, but this was one of the rare times that he had a full band set up in like kind of like a basement uh, apartment. And after we played, I think only one, one or two songs, right? Yeah, first song. It was Oscilla. Yeah, with Oscilla, yes. Yeah, the police came. <laughs> we didn't finish the song. Yeah, we couldn't finish the song. The police just barged in and, and stopped the whole thing. I remember the policeman said, if, if you all continue, we'll come back and take the sound system. So that was a sure stop. <laughs> yeah, at least they didn't arrest us. Or they, they didn't threaten to arrest passport. us. Or they just take the sound system. But it was funny because of all places, this had to happen in Berlin. So we were quite amused, yeah. Well, I wanted to also um, um, feed off what Cheryl had said earlier and, uh, and help us to move into the next section. Um, because I think a lot of the, you know, when you all tour and you meet people and they help to put you up and what happens as well is that uh, it's a bit of a feedback loop in which you guys also started to organize events, right? And this actually allowed touring musicians to come to Singapore to play. Um, wanted to ask you guys, you know, why and how did Ops start organizing events for other musicians? How do you actually pick up this different role? When Yeah, when we, we started to play uh, more gigs overseas, like like not not in Asia, but in Europe. So I think it was a period after Dark Folk, uh, we did we did a, a theatre collaboration uh, at, at this place quite uh, called uh, this town called Milheim, and there we uh, uh, performed to this uh, to Hozunian's Earth, something that we had done pr- uh, previously in Singapore. So we, it was presented in Milheim, and after Milheim we went to we we went to Berlin. So uh, we were we, we just went to Berlin to 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 check out the place and to like like short holiday and and there we we, we saw uh, people organizing gigs, uh, improv gigs. So uh, there was like, the duos, trios, and coming up and playing. And we thought like, oh, this is something that doesn't really happen often in, in Singapore. Yeah. I think in maybe the early 2000 or mid 2000 chiwai actually did organize some of gigs like this i think there was the hadaka series but it's a very rare occasion that this happens but over there it happens almost like on a weekly basis or sometimes a few times a week in different venues where there are, there are improv shows and we thought uh, maybe we could do something like this to to create uh, a buzz about improvisation and experimental music so that was one thought uh, that, that we brought back and also uh, some of the time that we spent in in, in Norway we've also uh, watched gigs, similar kind of experimental gigs where they, they just uh, different pairings come together and or different com- uh, combinations permutations and they just uh, do do a free improv set or something like that and it's, 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 we found it very very intriguing very interesting so it's something we wanted to do and the first iteration of that was Play Freely. So that's how Play Freely came about. And uh, after Play Freely, then we had, uh, and I think you were also organizing gigs around that time, after that time. And, and, and from there, then we came to Black, Black Kaji, right? Yeah. So it was, it was all about uh, getting the community of people who are interested in this kind of music, whether practitioners or 
or listeners to come together and see how from there you can expand further in this direction or genre of music. Yeah, I think in the exhibition, we actually gave a bit more background to the different events that you all have been organizing. So there have been different series, um, starting out, of course, with Play Freely, then, of course, also other things like Source, um, Anitya, uh, Black Kaji, eventually, and also some other ad hoc gigs that um, you all put up for uh, mostly traveling bands, yeah, bands in, in, in coming, through, um, coming through Singapore. Now, out of all these, you know, actually, what, what do you, what for, you know, some of you or each of you has been maybe the most memorable event, most memorable set that for you personally and, and, and why? I actually I, I actually enjoyed uh, Play Freely, was it 2016 or 2017? AMF. Closer to the edge. 16, right? Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And that was one of the the rare occasions where you see like all these um, Japanese musicians whom we were listening to in the probably early 2000s or late 90s all being here, playing a show at the projector and then after that all travelling together to to KL and we played another show there. People like Otomo, yeah, people Otomo, like um, Jojo, Jojo? Hiroshige, Junji Hirose. Yeah, I mean, I always enjoy Play Freely, apart from the organizational, the logistical part of it being very tricky and troublesome. Uh, it's always nice to have, because of course we program, you know, musicians that we like as well. And then when they come here, it's really great to finally get to see them play and then to play with each other. Play Freely is always a surprise. So for us, it's always very enjoyable also just being there to watch what happens. Yeah, whether or not uh, it's going to be a good set or not, we leave it up to chance, that one. But yeah, that's always very exciting. I think of all the editions, I've enjoyed it very much. Even the ones I, uh, prior to to myself being in ops, yeah, I enjoyed very much. Yeah. So actually, if you think about it, right, in the past, or not in the past, like in the not so long ago, we'll be organizing like mad uh, to to book tours, to go outside, to rehearse and then to 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 play outside of Singapore. But like what Cheryl said, you know, the organization is is hell. So it's similarly the case for for even to present work in Singapore. I mean we we still have to organize, we still have to book tickets for other people. We have to get venue support here and there. We have to pull things together for people to come here and then we play. So it's like touring but you're you're grounded. Uh, in Singapore so both ways we still die <laughs> yeah but no matter what I think it's still important like yeah mentioning like prior to joining the band I think a lot of my uh, what shaped what I do right now in terms of my music really came from going to all these gigs including Ujikachi sessions you know the ones that Damal organized the ones that play freely things like that it's, yeah because these are things that you can't really get um, in Singapore very much. So, yeah, it's really important even though it was, it's tough to do. Uh. For me, uh, of, of, of all the events we've organized, we said, of course, of course the Play Free Leaves and so even uh, Ujikaji, you know, some of the shows, most of the shows you've organized, Mark and Black Kaji as well, but one very notable thing that... Uh, a strong impression of me for me was for the first play freely we brought we brought this uh, Norwegian duo Moha and uh, they were part of that first play freely but we also organized a separate gig for them at home club and uh, I was I was I, I really liked that band they're, they're, they're back together now and but but I was really in, at that time really in awe of them and when uh, to be able to organize that gig at home club and get to see them play with the gear that they wanted was amazing, I thought. Yeah. The now defunct home club, of course, um, on Circular Road, Upper Circular Road. Um, yeah, I mean, what from what you guys are saying, really, um, is again, it's it's really interesting to be in this situation where you are taking on this administrative and logistical role or putting up shows to kind of like um build <laughs> build a scene around you. I'm just wondering, um, 
why, what, I mean, do you have any hopes <laughs> for how this might, you know, how the situation might be better for you? How the situation will be better is definitely if we can start holding gigs in this room back again where we can pack people like sardines. <laughs> That'll be great because that's, that's, that's the vibe that we've, we've, been, we've been doing in the, in the last couple of years since we started Black Kaji, right? And uh, it's, it's, I think it's a, a, a very great, it's a, a very great platform uh, for touring musicians and local musicians and for, for the community to come to come together. So hoping that this, this could happen in the next couple of months when uh, regulations ease up. Yeah, I think like what happens before and after a gig here, for example, if we do a black kaji, is also very important. It's just a space for people to hang out and interface and talk to each other and just dream up new ideas, which I think right now, everybody is kind of in their silos. Uh, so it's very hard to, yeah, you know, just keep abreast of what's happening and basically uh, talk about new music, yeah, things like that. It's, it's a bit hard lah, when we don't meet up. We don't get to meet up. Actually, have, have Joella or Yan Hui come for any of the Cliff release or Black Kajis before? Do you know? I think Yen has. So I think Yen has um, experience with it. I'm very ashamed to say that I have not actually. Uh, in hindsight, there were a number of years that I kind of fell off from what was happening in the music scene because I went back to school. Um, and so it was only when this collaboration started that I realised how much I had missed music in my life. Um, since then, I've been tuning in to Black Kaji Radio and enjoying the discovery of new sounds. Sorry, I do remember you all came... Uh for, for the installation, play freely. Yeah. That was myself, um, Yen Hui, and Anisa, who's our project manager, um, amazing human being all around. So we, we came by, I think this was last year. Time blurs together at this point. But yeah, that was when um, there were a series of installations sort of popping up all around Goodman Art Center and taking over these um, older classrooms as well with all of these motors and machines and different kinds of musical instruments, but also altered in a way that um, were interesting and experimental to see. So I think that was one of the experiences that we had. And I know that y'all were giving tours to people, bringing them around the camp compound, showing them different parts of nervous systems as well. And that was also a period where I think we also were seeing works by other artists, musicians um, being displayed around as well. People that myself had, I myself had not encountered before. So I think like, you know, like all of you were saying with regard to finding out about new people, um, learning new things, and also having a space to come together to do that, right? To share ideas, to talk about things. Like there's nothing that really beats that kind of human connection and that touch of being able to have a conversation and be excited together about something. Yeah, Joella was referring to Play Freely Nervous Systems, um, which the band organized last year, but not as a gig, but as a um, as a sound installation, as an installation of different um, sound works, etc. Joella, I wanted to also ask you, you know. Um, you know, um, the Ops has, has been around for about two decades and along that, this kind of like long history, we've seen different movements and trajectories at work. Um, through the mind maps display in the exhibition, we try to subjectively map out movements, um, to map out you know, the, the way that the sound has developed through movements of heaviness and lightness, tonality and atonality. We also saw the band focus on music making at the start and then eventually moving into event-making, organizing, and curation. A third movement I wanted to ask you about is actually how the band actually started out in the music world and has kind of moved and nudged their way, edged their way towards the art and visual, uh, visual art world. And, you know, just from your perspective, whether, whether it's art historical or whether it's art institutional, what do you make of um, this kind of phenomena? I mean, this is a huge question and I think I've also been learning so much like just sitting here and hearing all of the conversations that the band members and yourself have been having with one another. There's so much that goes into having a creative practice, right? There's so many facets to it. There's so many 
ways in which things seep into one another or people touch one another um, with, you know, their kind of ideas, with their sounds, with, you know, things that excite them. And I think in that sense, there there's a whole entire history and tradition of artists. And I think the observatory would perhaps find some affinity and resonance to this. Artists who work across disciplines and don't see that as being um, distinct from one another. So people who you know, work with sound, but think about visual ways to which that sound might manifest. People who work with sculpture, but also think, actually, what might this sculpture sound or even taste like? And I think there are all these different, I mean, throughout history as well, people who have come to it from all of these different perspectives, but have been all, their practices have been made all the richer for the fact that they were open to experimenting with different disciplines, with different media, with different people as well, like just, you know, getting together and trying out new things with perhaps somebody who might have a background in something that might be very different to your own. So I think something that was interesting perhaps for me to, I guess, find out in a way or to come to was, I think the first time that we met the observatory um, or I met the observatory was like sometime early last year. And at that point in time, there were a lot of projects that the band was working on, um, including CIFA as well, where they were doing a whole entire VR experience, for, um, which was a really ambitious and Herculean task in COVID as well. So I think, you know, just encounters and experiences like that, knowing that perhaps there are so many different... It's not so much the fact that um, people are interested in staying in their lane or people are interested in not interested in honing their craft and things like that. But I do think that it's interesting to see how the band is interested in taking different tools, different media, different technologies and seeing how they might be applied to a variety of different contexts. And I think the VR thing was something that we were talking about very early on for the exhibition that is now on at SAM. But the ideas have also shifted and morphed. And I think that's also perhaps the crux of what um, the various members have been trying to reach at within this conversation as well. It's really ungraspable to try to contain something that's constantly morphing and evolving. But at the same time, that's also the point because it's not very fun when things constantly stay the same anyway. So yeah, I think that's been an interesting thing for us to observe. Um, and I'm sure Yen might have more thoughts about this as well. So Joella has actually expressed a sentiment that I echo uh, that there's so much that goes into having a creative practice and so many ways that ideas, forms of expression and gestures can fold into one another and manifest. Um, also that historically, artists who have worked across disciplines may not have necessarily regarded them as distinct from one another. So this move from the music world towards the visual world is an interesting thing to me not just as a new way of working for the band, but also something that I see actually as maybe signalling a, a kind of return to when categories around creative practices had perhaps not yet been so clearly defined, um, some kind of reopening up of possibilities. I mean, the fact that visual arts is called visual arts privileges the sense of sight, right? But there are many different ways in which art can be experienced. So I think there's a lot of room for experimentation and for more immersive and genre-bending projects to emerge. Well, thanks very much. Um, we've actually come to the end of the show. We run, we've, we've, we've exceeded our time. And um, I wanted to thank all the, all the participants today, um, the band, Chiwai, Dharma, and Cheryl from the Observatory, as well as the curators from Sam, Joella, and Yan Hui. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to also just to express our thanks uh, that this program is in, is in support of Refuse, an exhibition presented by the Singapore Art Museum, now until 17 April 2022 at Tanjung Paga District Park. And for more details, you can visit singaporeartmuseum.sg. And as a way of, um, of uh, leading out of this show, we're going to be playing a track, uh, not from the observatory, but from the Japanese artist Kazuhito Seki. Um, he was actually playing live in this space that we're in now, uh, live at Black Kaji in July of 2019. Um, and this is, um, this is an amazing track. So thanks very much, um, and we hope to present something else to you soon.
Stay with me.